This is Unleash Africa, the place to find news and information about the growth and development of the countries in Africa. I'm your co-host, Zach Smith. Soon we'll be joined by our host, John Akile, author of Unleashed, a new paradigm of African trade with the world. In this episode, John outlines the importance for countries to have a strong economic foundation and how when they're left without one, they're left vulnerable to impacts such as COVID-19, as well as other historical, economic, and natural disasters. Listen to figure out what John thinks countries should do moving forward to better insulate the impact next time. Without further ado, welcome, John. Welcome, listeners, uh, to another episode of Unleash Africa, the podcast where you come to hear outside-the-box ideation for the development and economic emancipation of African countries. Thank you for joining us. And if this is your first time, then uh, you're in for a treat. And uh, for those of you that uh, have been following us and, uh, you know, picking us up on various channels, please uh, share us with your uh, contacts on social media and around the world. Again, thank you so much for this opportunity uh, to, uh, you know, to share with you the uh, prevailing circumstances as uh, it confronts African countries and, you know, a a different take, if you will, on the opportunities for African countries to grow and to prosper. The key here is this, right? If you've been following this uh, podcast, you understand exactly what this podcast is about. It's about the economic emancipation of African countries. You can go to our website, unleashafricantrade.com, and explore some of the information that we have there. We have a blog um, we also uh, publish a newsletter, a uh, monthly newsletter. So this is a place where you can really dig, you know, do a deep uh, dive into uh, what um, Unleash Africa is about. A lot is happening today in the um, entire world. Um, of course, um, most prevalent is this, um, this cursed uh, COVID-19 pandemic that has just devastated the globe, uh, came out of China. And uh, to their credit, uh, China did a really, really good job in strangling the, uh, the spread of the virus. And now they are relatively free and are back, uh, you know, doing um, almost to the point uh, where they were prior to the pandemic, uh, at least economically. Uh, the challenge for China now is the rest of the world. Um, the United States, um, you know, the, my adopted country, if you will, um, you know, I, um, you know, love the spirit of Americans and, um, you know, the, uh, challenge has been the, the attitude of the, the, the outgoing, um, administration, uh, to the pandemic. Um, uh, it's hard to fathom how a pandemic, a disease, that is uh, not sparing any country, not sparing any people, has no, uh, you know, color, uh, makes no discrimination for color, for uh, financial status, for, uh, you know, any circumstances. Um, so it is, it's amazing that uh, we, we, this is a political issue uh, that it should not be. However, having said that, uh, 
African countries have been hit in a different way by this pandemic. You know, thank God the continent was spared the the, the vast impact of this um, this devastation. But there is another aspect of it, which is the economic impact. So COVID-19 has really hit the African continent uh, financially. Let me just go through a release by the IMF uh, recently. COVID-19 pandemic represents an unprecedented health and economic crisis for sub-Saharan Africa. Within months, the spread of the virus has jeopardized years of development and decades-long gains against poverty in the region while threatening the lives and livelihood of millions of people. In our latest uh, regional economic outlook, we project 3% growth, uh, minus 3% growth in sub-Saharan Africa uh, in 2020. So the IMF is projecting minus 3% growth in 2020, representing the worst outcome on record for the region. The drop will be even larger for economies dependent on tourism and commodity exports, which is virtually all African countries. Growth in the region should rebound modestly in 21, but for many countries, a return to 2019 levels will, will, will not occur until 2022 to 2024. One of the really important takeaways from this very gloomy picture for uh, economic development in African countries or economic growth in African countries is that African countries have lurched from one crisis to the other since independence, uh, interspersed by modest uh, economic buoyancy, if you will. So for most of the last 60 years, African countries have been in one crisis or the other. Um, you know, there, there has been a, a crisis of civil wars, which caused major displacement and of populations. Crisis of, uh, of terrorists have been crisis of, uh, of, of um, financial meltdowns as a, as a result of just plain uh, mismanagement by various and sundry governments in in the continent there has there has been um, imf um, inspired imf imposed conditionalities uh, that has also ravaged countries of the continent over the last 60 years every major problem that you can think of has happened in the african continent coups you know, counter-coups, wars, etc. And mostly at the heart of it is uh, the scramble for sparse uh, resources to be in charge. In other words, the scramble to determine who is going to be the leader and who is going to be in charge of the uh, sparse resources, scarce resources that these countries get from commodity exports. Uh, in Nigeria, you have seen multiple coups over the years. And of course, uh, just vast scandals of corruption 
people making away with hundreds of millions and billions of dollars, just, just stealing and robbing from the country. No wonder today you find Nigeria uh, presiding over uh, a per capita GDP that has largely stayed flat since independence. Per capita GDP during independence was around 350 per annum per year. And that's on a population that was less than 50 million people. And that per capita income uh, has basically not risen very much since independence and now with a population of almost 200 million people, right? Um, per capita income today is roughly uh, $3,500 per annum. Juxtapose that with uh, development in South Korea, uh, whereas Nigeria's GDP has risen by about 900% since, you know, over the last 60 years. The per capita GDP of South Korea uh, has been on a steady and gradual vertical climb. Nigeria's is horizontal. South Korea's is on a vertical climb. Started from 109, 105, if you will, in 1960 to now 34,000 roughly. 34,000 in per capita GDP from 109.60 to 35. Nigeria's from 350 to 3,500 to 3,500. South Korea from 105 to 34,000. That's a more than 30,000% increase over that period. It's hard to wonder, you know, I mean, or rather, it's hard to, to fathom what keeps African countries tethered to an economic strategy that's not working, right? If you, if you look and, and see where your progress is, you have to realize that, well, we're not making enough income, we're not earning enough income to manage our affairs, so we are constantly in need of aid money. But on top of that, we are constantly at the edge of a major economic crisis at any time, like COVID-19, right? Nobody expected this at this time, just like nobody expected Ebola. But these things happen. We live in the world. So because countries have refused to embrace the crucial importance of crafting a long-term strategy to extricate their economies from impoverishment, constant perpetual impoverishment dotted by a few very wealthy people or very wealthy islands, if you will, of, of people uh, whose wealth is usually tied to crony capitalism and just flat out uh, you know, embezzlement of uh, of the of the people's resources. So, the, the, why I have why has the effort to craft a more, more long term development strategy not taken place? This is the crucial poser to African countries and their leaders. This is the this is the poser. Why is it um, the Asians figured a way to do this? And Africans have refused to learn, to internalize what they've 
observed and to execute what they've observed, right? Where did the Asians learn theirs from? They learned it from the era of the, um, you know, of the, the, what we would refer to as the mercantile era when um, European nations and companies in, you know, in European nations, you know, went out and gained uh, trading rights to move, to sell goods and services in faraway places because they had the navigation and, um, and the sailing technology that enabled them to travel, uh, you know, to very far countries. That's how the Japanese learned about uh, the international trade strategy that enabled Japan, beginning from the Meiji era, to develop the industrial capacity that they have today. That's what enabled them to build the Sogo Socials um, post-World War II, right? This technique is a technique that's been around. It built the Western nations. That's what led to the founding of America and and the the New World, if you will. So the Asians, Japan, starting from Japan, were able to learn this technique of, of business and trade. It's much more sophisticated, uh, sophisticated today. You know, we look at uh, the development of uh, South Korea in the manner in which they turned um, exporting into an industrialization technique or strategy, if you will, right? First, the strategy and the various techniques that undergird that strategy. Uh, the the stair climber approach to development, where they started from um, labor-intensive industries and now moved into high-tech, right? Samsung is one of the world's greatest business enterprises. It's a South Korean company, uh, Shebo. So the point I'm making is, African countries have remained in a perpetual state of economic crisis, interspersed, interspersed, as I said, by very, very short bursts of economic buoyancy. But the entire ecosystem of economic activity in African countries is undergird by commodity exports. This is we're in the 21st century. Africans are surviving solely on commodity exports. How crazy is that concept? Even the most sophisticated African country, South Africa, is predominantly a commodity exporter. You know, it's precious metals, but it's still commodity exports. African nations must pivot to manufacturing for export. This is not, do you want to, or can you do it? This, is, this has nothing to do with any of that, and none of that matters. This is a must-do for your own survival, <laughs> right? This is staring at the barrel of a gun and deciding whether you're going to fight or flight. Are you going to run or fight? The point is... The trigger in that barrel is a long trigger, but it's going to be completed sooner rather than later. At some point, that trigger 
will go off. So the sooner African countries begin to realize that, yeah, there's, there is no economic vacuum in the world. It is not possible for a vacuum to exist economically, politically, or otherwise. When you are countries that cannot feed themselves successfully, cannot pay their bills successfully, are always in a perpetual state of need, you're a vacuum. That cannot be the perpetual existence of a, of existence of a people, of a continent, of countries that expect to survive long-term, of cultures that expect to survive long-term. You cannot survive as a ward of the world community, right? Where the world community always has to run and bring you sustenance. You know, there's a, you know, a dust up going on in uh, Ethiopia right now. And uh, what is that dust up causing? Massive migration to Sudan. Sudan is already poor. Now that, that dust up has displaced people, and guess who's going to have to go take care of these people? Western NGOs to provide food, shelter, emergency needs. People are going to die needlessly because African countries have basically absconded from the responsibility of managing their own and their selves. This is a challenge. This is what this podcast has been speaking to. And let's let's look listen to some of the 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 prediction prognostication of uh, the IMF. Advanced economies have had the space to do whatever it takes in whatever it takes in sub-Saharan Africa. No such luxury exists, as countries struggle to do whatever is possible with their scarce resources. Limited resources will ultimately force difficult choices. Okay. Without significant additional assistance, many sub-Saharan African countries will struggle to simply maintain macroeconomic stability while meeting the basic needs of their populations. The IMF has taken swift action to cover a significant portion of the region's needs by providing about $16 billion financing this year alone to 33 countries and immediate debt, debt service relief to 22 of the poorest most vulnerable sub-Saharan African countries. We're working with countries to put in place governance mechanisms to help ensure that the funds benefit their people as intended. But more help is needed. Sub-Saharan Africa faces additional financing needs of $890 billion through 2023. Private financial flows are expected to fill less than half of that need, while current commitments from international financial institutions and bilateral donors would cover only one quarter of the need. Under that scenario, the region still faces a projected financial gap of $290 billion through 2023. A gap of $290 billion U.S. dollars. That's a serious situation. It is a situation that can be avoided. You know, it's it's the condition of African countries is man-made by leaders who refuse to take the bull by the horns, if you will, and craft a sustainable, long-term 
economic development strategy. And the first rung of that strategy is to improve hard currency flows to their treasuries, to kill corruption. You know, if you don't have a lot of money, that means you cannot afford any of it going to waste. So you kill corruption and you put laws in place with teeth that have a crocodile bite so that people would be very wary of taking the risk of having their lives destroyed by dipping into the people's treasury. That's what it'll take. To kill corruption, people's lives have to be destroyed. Who take the chance to embezzle public funds, to create an environment where they feel that they can take the people's treasure, the people's funds willy-nilly and avoid any repercussions. Because that's, that's what has kept this going. <laughs> Anybody with a brain knows that that's the case. A five-year-old knows that. You know, if a five-year-old is taking things and nobody catches them, taking things, nobody stops them, they're going to continue, right? If, on the other hand, you know, they, they face some consequence, then what is going to happen? They will be much more careful next time. They will be much, much careful, much more careful. And, in fact, depending on the consequence they face, they will stop the habit. So, because African leaders who steal from their treasuries get away with it, they continue to do it. Now, if they start to go to jail and serve real jail time and have their properties confiscated by the state, returned to the state, and their foreign accounts drained and returned back to the state, guess what? The incidence of corruption will begin to dwindle and eventually dry up. That's why you kill corruption. Corruption is a, unfortunately, is part of, uh, you know, the, the, the human failing. You know, it's, it's not as if uh, Africans are bad because they're corrupt, but because you have corrupt people amongst them. That's not the case. There's corruption all over the world. You know, in fact, corruption grew in the West. And, and they brought it to African countries and spread it around the world. And the corruption was started by Western monarchs. This is how they were able to get, you know, pitch one side against the other in order for them to maintain their, their thrones. Now, the challenge is in the West, laws have basically clamped down on the occasion of blatant corruption. Does this still happen? Of course. Because, you know, there are millions of lawyers who are really good at their jobs and they find a way. But, you know, you don't see open, blatant corruption in the West anymore as you see in the African continent and, and in South America, you know, if I may add, and in some of the Asian countries. 
you know, blatant corruption has been basically stamped out. So can it be stamped out in African countries? You bet you. You bet you. It can. It should. It must if African countries are to begin the road back or the road towards economic emancipation. Because you can do all the strategy. You can, you can have the best strategy, execute the best techniques. You can do everything that is supposed to be done and done correct, correctly and properly. But if corruption is stealing, creating roadblocks for a smooth flow of development, then you have a hole in the bag of economic development. Big holes, giant holes. So first, close the holes. You know, um, you, you don't have to close it before. You, you can do both simultaneously. Begin the process of pivoting economic development towards manufacturing for exports. That, that has to happen. Then taking and emphasizing the crucial elements of tourism to bring economic uh, resources to countries. This is work. It's hard work. It's, it's, it's work that, that patriots should embrace and take on because it's good work. It'll lead to economic emancipation for African countries. Thank you so much for joining us in this uh, episode of Unleash Africa. Like I said in the beginning, visit us at unleashafricantrade.com to see the rest of our uh, you know, properties uh, in our Unleash African Trade uh, umbrella. Uh, we have a pod- this podcast, we have the newsletter, we have, of course, blogs, and there's Unleashed, a new paradigm of African trade with the world, my book. So check us out and uh, share us with your audience, share us with your friends, uh, your global network of, of contacts on social media, because we want to get the word out. Economic emancipation for African countries is a must. It's a task that must be achieved, that must be conquered. Thank you so much. Look forward to uh, having you again in our next episode of Unleash Africa podcast. Thank you for listening to this month's podcast. Please visit us online at unleashafricantrade.com slash podcast and stay up to date with all of our latest episodes so you can hear unique, exciting, and transformative ideas about trade between African countries and the world. The Unleash Africa podcast is produced every month. It serves as a continuing conversation about African countries as a viable trading partner in the global economy in order to add jobs, increase wealth, and promote understanding between Africa and the world. Show notes for today's podcast can also be found at UnleashAfricanTrade.com. There you can follow John and the Unleash Africa podcast team on Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, YouTube, and Instagram. You can also purchase John's book, Unleashed, A New Paradigm of African Trade with the World. Get automatic updates by adding the Unleashed Africa podcast to your favorite RSS feed or podcast client such as iTunes or Stitcher or follow us on SoundCloud. Join us next month for another episode of Unleash Africa. Until then, live well and be prosperous. And check us out at UnleashAfricanTrade.com.